You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi there, Served Up community. Julie here. On this episode, I am thrilled to introduce you to Tashelle Lawson, founder and president of FIG Strategy and Consulting. Tichelle is a senior marketing leader with a specialty in food and beverage, luxury retail, and hospitality. She is highly skilled at aligning DEI with business goals and brand strategies to help build long-term client revenues. Tichelle's straightforward approach to business and diversity, equity, and inclusion gives an actionable approach to not only aligning what's right but growing business at the same time. Now sit back, grab your favorite glass of Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir and get inspired. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today on Served Up. I want to thank you for having me. I'm very excited to, to chat with you all. Yes, we are so excited to hear about all the great work that you are doing um, with Fig Consulting. And, you know, but before we get into that, I'd like to just know a little bit more about you. You know, where did you grow up? Um, where did you get your bearings as a young adult? And what brought you into hospitality? Because I know early on in your career, uh, you did get involved. Um, you were actually in hospitality and working with restaurants. So take us on that journey. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's big strategy and consulting. Um, and I grew up in North Las Vegas. Um, so I'm actually first generation Las Vegas native, which right. Shocks most people when they hear that. Right. Um, so my grandfather was stationed at Nellis air force base in 1976. Um, and that's where he retired. It's funny because he thought he was going to move back to North Carolina, which is his hometown. And my grandmother said, yeah, no, we've moved 10 times in eight years. This is where we're going. This is where we're staying. Um, and so, yeah, I'm born and raised here in Las Vegas. I grew up in um, an area called Northtown, um, which was predominantly black, predominantly Hispanic. Um, I grew up in a time that um, has come to be known as the, the crack epidemic. So it was a highly uh, toxic, uh, very, very violent, very aggressive area. And um, yeah, I was a, a pretty smart girl growing up in, in an environment that ate pretty smart girls, um, unless you learned how to adapt. And um, I learned how to adapt. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's interesting. I, I look back at my, um, my upbringing, my childhood, and it used to be something that I was so uncomfortable talking about Julie, um, just because there's such a stigma that comes with growing up in an environment like that. There's the assumption that you're 
going to be very ignorant or incapable of doing things and quite the opposite. Um, environments like that also breed brilliance. And I consider myself brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was it was rough. Um, drugs were very, very common. Gangs were a way of life. Prostitution was something I witnessed all the time. Um, and I just knew that I didn't belong there, right? Like this wasn't wasn't the end all be all. It was just beyond my control. Um, so I worked, I maintained a 4.0, um, actually 4.2 weighted GPA. Um, and when I left high school, which, um, I was one of very few in our, in our community that actually did. Um, when I actually finished high school, I was going to the community college of Southern Nevada here in Vegas. Um, and I was already a year ahead. So I only had one year to complete for my associate's degree before I transferred to UNLV. I did and got to my junior year or prior to my junior year and realized I wanted to be a chef instead. So I dropped out of school where I was majoring in marketing um, and decided, you know what, I want to be a chef instead. And so I left and went to court, Le Cordon Bleu, uh, graduated top of my class and worked in some really cool kitchens, worked at uh, the JW Marriott, Angel Park Golf Course. Um, I did a stint at MGM and um, I realized that I was actually a lot more savvy on the business side um, or a lot savvier on the business side, I guess I, sh I should say. And so I transitioned over into the catering department where um, I was putting together events and overseeing um you know, menu planning and some of the menu design, et cetera. And it was a very natural fit for me. Um, the interesting part was my education wasn't necessarily the part that served me the best. It was my upbringing because no one, schools don't train you for what the corporate world is like, right? They, they train you on theory. So I'll, even though I could tell you how to uh, brew a carrot, um, no one was telling me what to expect as a young black woman in a 100% white male dominated culture. And, um, that was something, um, yeah, I just wasn't, wasn't quite sure how to navigate until I realized I was dealing with people that were very similar to the people I grew up with, right? Most corporations, executives, CEOs, these guys are hustlers, just like the dudes I grew up with. Um, and once I started to realize that it changed the game for me, I was very, very young, probably in my early twenties when I started to recognize, Hey, you know, John, he acts, he acts just like grave. And, uh, so I understood how to handle John because his personality, what motivated him was so similar to the, to the guys that I grew up with that were very rough except John just wore a suit and went into an office every day. So that's, that's the, that's the long version of how to became um, introduced into hospitality, how I navigated it was a little bit different. <laughs> that is really, you know, you bring up some really great points. Cause you know, I think I can relate with you is, is that I feel that 
I've embraced my upbringing, which is completely different from what people will perceive, right? As you kind of grow in your career and, and you have your approach to you and your executive presence and, and all of this, people make assumptions that you've had this, um, this certain type of upbringing. And when they learn <laughs> what my actual, my real actual upbringing is there, um, it's, it's surprising. And I, I think similar to you in the past, I've already kind of kept it to myself. Like, let's not talk about it. And now I embrace it, you know, being raised by a single mother and an immigrant, you know, living in Anchorage in the middle of nowhere. I mean, all of those things really helped me become, you know, the leader I am today. So I really appreciate you, you know, putting that out there and, and sharing your story. Um, and, and the fact that you started as a chef, that's amazing. So how did you, and, and I just love that you can compare some of those leaders within your organization. Maybe they didn't look like, you know, the guys that you were used to growing up, but they were very similar in, in kind of their approach and, and what they were getting out of it. I mean, can you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I'll go a step further and I'll give you um, an example. I love reading. Um, and I, I always have, it's funny growing up, I was teased for being a nerd. And again, cause in my culture, in the environment, that's not what, what, what you do. You weren't hanging out at home, reading books. Um, I love to read. And so last year I was reading, um, two books that I found to be incredible. One was Bob Iger's um, Ride of a Lifetime, who I'm such an, an, a huge fan of as a leader, um, former CEO of Disney. And then I was also reading um, 50 Cents, so Curtis Jackson's um, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And it was so fascinating to me, Julie, because I understood both worlds, right? The The, the the interesting part was everything that 50 said, I understood on a more intimate level, right? Because he, he speaks the way that I grew up, right? So as he was describing certain situations, I'm like, oh yeah, like I didn't need to translate or kind of decipher what he meant. Um, but when I'm breaking down both books, and these are two very different executives, but make no mistakes, they are executives. They are also both hustlers, right? Like they didn't take no for an answer. They worked their butts off. They they really understood what it meant to be hungry. Um, and so at the core, so many of their principles are identical, right? It's surrounding yourself with the right people. Both 50 and Bob believe that. Uh, knowing when to pivot, when to adjust, both 50. And so in terms of, um, and I feel like I just lost my train of thought, <laughs> in terms of how I was able to identify um, these personalities, I, I, I guess it's just something that's very natural, right? Because I too am a hustler. I too am uh, a hard worker. I too am a leader. And so being able to identify what motivates another person for me is more valuable than anything else, right? Because those motivations are very different. Some, some people want to be the smartest person in the room. Some people want to be the most respected person. Some want to be the prettiest, the most attractive, whatever the case may be, understanding what motivates this person is what's going to get you what you need 
from this person, right? And so I understood what motivates hustlers. I understood what motivates people that want power, that want position, that want to be recognized because that came very naturally to me because of the environment. And someone um, really, really young in my career, really young in my career told me, you know, the sooner you can separate emotion from decision-making, the, the better you'll be, especially as a woman. And it was, it was a white woman that told me that her name was Susan Balch. I'll never forget her because I was very um, passionate. I guess you could say I would, you said something that I didn't like my natural reaction as a part of my neighbor, or as a part of my upbringing, right. in the neighborhood would be to pop off and make sure Julie understands that you're not going to take advantage of, of to show, because that is how I was able to survive in my neighborhood. And she corrected me and said, no, 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 no. That's emotional, right? The sooner you can check that, the better. And she didn't put it the way that I'm putting it, but she said, you know, no one can, you can't allow anyone to cost you your professionalism. So if you can't speak intelligently to a challenge or to a problem, then you be quiet. And that was the exact opposite of what I had been doing. Um, because that wasn't what would serve me in certain situations. But when she said it, I understood it immediately. Why? Because it reminded me of one of the guys in my neighborhood who was in charge of basically everyone else named Chucky. And Chucky did not speak until he had to, but everyone understood his position. And that made sense to me, right? And so in terms of, what um, what it was like to actually learn how to navigate in these spaces, the biggest, biggest um, advantage I had was being able to just understand motivation. And so this guy, John, who would speak so disgustingly to me, right? Make, a com- make comments about how he'd love to see my lips wrapped around something other than a Coca-Cola bottle and um, that other people would smile and laugh right? Like, oh yeah, that's basically, that's what she deserves. And it wasn't, if it weren't for Susan preparing me not to respond the way that I naturally felt like responding, I wouldn't have understood that John was just a miserable person who was trying to prey on someone that he thought was weaker, which immediately reminded me of someone I went to school with. So now I know how to handle John. Okay. And so Little, little things like that are essentially what has, has served me so well in my career and allowed me to be in every position, Julie, the only black executive, the only black executive. Um, and in many cases, the only woman. Now, I think you're, you know, those points are so solid because we are quick to use our emotions. I know that's something that I've been working on, still working on is I like the ideas. If you can't respond intellectually and, and based on decision-making, don't say anything at all. And, and silence is so powerful, right? Not saying anything makes that other person really question what they said and how they said it. Now they're just dying for you to have a reaction and just not having one then puts them on edge. So 100%. 
you know, we're taught to speak up and say something and stand out for yourself, stand up for yourself. And there's ways to do that um, by being more methodical and, and not speaking out. Um, That's great. So take us to kind of that next phase. So you've kind of navigated through all these chefs in this totally different environment. So, you know, I'm, I can imagine, you know, you're in your early years, um, and you're, you're getting that kind of interaction, right. With, with these, um, with chefs and, and people that don't look like you and you being the only woman most of the time. And then the only black woman, how did that kind of take you towards your next stage in your career? Yeah. So one of the other things, um, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to, to mention this is foundational, um, is my, my grandmother and how mm-hmm. she established this unbelievable confidence in me. Right. Which is, I actually remember being a little girl and my grandmother reminding me that everyone that comes into contact with to should feel lucky to be around to not the other way around. And it was, it was kind of a weird dynamic as a kid. Cause like, it's your grandmother telling you this and so on and so forth. But the gift that woman gave me in instilling that level of confidence is worth literally more than anything else on, on earth to me. Um, and so as I started to navigate through the the corporate world, I never allowed anyone to make my position or, um, what I brought to the table about the fact that I was black. Like that was just absolutely not negotiable. I am here because I am valuable. I'm here because I solve problems. I'm here because thanks to having a smart mentor named Susan, I am intentional and strategic. That is what I bring to the table. You don't get to make it about my race. Um, And so to be perfectly honest with you, I was in my early thirties. The first time I had a full on racial problem in the workplace. And um, I have been called cold. I've been called heartless. I've, you know, all the things that, a, that a, an intelligent, capable woman is called, um, except add a black woman in there. And then now you have angry. So because I wasn't focusing on emotion, because I was only speaking to facts, um, I was also labeled angry and difficult, which would shake a normal person. Um, not that I'm not normal, but it, 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 it has the ability of shaking women. And, um, I never allowed myself to be that affected by what someone else said about me that I knew wasn't true. I'm not an angry person. I'm capable. I'm very confident. I'm strong. I'm assertive. Um, all of the characteristics that are loved, respected, and valued in men, um, don't necessarily have that same weight in women, especially in black women. Um, and so navigating through, through my career, I just always remembered Susan's words of just making this about the business and staying professional. So you can complain about my dress. You can say you don't like my dreadlocks, but you cannot complain about what I'm bringing to the table in terms of business. You cannot complain that these numbers are not lies, right? Um, and so that's been that's been my focus throughout my entire career is how does this how does this impact the business? How does this impact the team? How does this impact the culture? Um, how does this impact me as a leader? That's my position. And if 
any issue doesn't fall into one of those categories, for me, it's a non-issue. I mean, I, I think that at the core of it, you are in your role because of what you bring to your ta- bring to the table, right? All of us. And unfortunately, it's um, it becomes something different at a certain point, depending on who you're surrounded by. Could you tell us about that first experience that you had when you were in your early 30s? Yeah. Yeah. So. I, um, I'd been working for a hotel restaurant group or sorry, a, um, a restaurant group, a national restaurant group. And, um, I had gotten to a point where I was burning out, right. I wasn't getting the proper support. I wasn't, um, being paid what I was actually worth. And, um, but I loved my job, right. I, I really did. And so I gave, um, had a conversation with the vice president and said, look, here, here's what's up. Um, when I started with you all, I was managing, you know, $2 million in revenue within a year. I grew that to four within five years. I'm now managing close to 40, $40 million in revenue. And it's still just me. I need support. Um, and he told me we couldn't afford to pay you more. So basically you're going to deal with it. And, um, I was like, that's not, that's not going to work. Right. I'm a food and beverage marketing specialist in Vegas and um, I have options. And so I told my boss at the time I was talking to the VP, I told my boss, this is not going to work. And this guy and I had had many issues because he was just very emotional and dramatic. And um, it was, it was a lot, but he told the VP and the VP said to will never quit because she's making too much money. And that struck a nerve with me. I wasn't getting promoted. I wasn't um, getting the support that I needed. I wasn't getting anything that I knew I deserved. Um, And so the idea that someone else would be able to dictate what Tichelle was capable of just did not work for me. So I said, I'm out. And I left. And I had no idea that when I left that, I was leaving for something much worse. And I left and went to a hotel group. And the team that hired me, the leadership team that hired me was one of the best leadership teams I've ever worked with. Everyone was so in sync, very on board, ethical, um, just real professionals. Well, I didn't know that that entire leadership team was planning to leave because the ownership was awful. And so they pieced out like four months into my being there. And so a new regime came in. And I'm in the position of um, food and beverage marketing director. And um, so the new team comes in and they are nothing like this old team. They are not professional. They are not uh, executives. And to make matters worse, they put in the most insecure, incapable woman as my boss. And I will respect the title. Right. My grandfather was in the military and his position was always you, you respect the title. I'll respect the title. But the person was a different story. So let me explain who Tichel is, and then you'll understand why this person had a problem. Tichel is showing up 100 percent every time I'm on point in appearance. I am on point in confidence. I am on point in being prepared. That is how I roll. That is what we should expect of leaders. That is what we should expect of people that give direction and are expecting people to follow what they say at a minimum. That's what we should expect. 
Tashel also has a command of presence. So when I walk into a room, you will feel me. That is not me trying to show you up. That is just how I show up to a room, right? And it's not been an issue. It's an issue if you have a woman that is very insecure, right? Does not know what she's talking about and does not have any business skills to have open, um, productive conversations. And that is 100% who this person was. So I was the only one on the team that would be literally isolated and picked on um, openly. So we would have a meeting on Mondays where we're updating this woman on all the things we're doing, her, her directors or three directors, update her. On Tuesday, there would be a, t- a team meeting where there's another update. On Wednesday, there would be a director's meeting where there's another. No, there's there's literally not that many updates to provide. On Thursday, there was the uh, company leadership meeting where there were, guess what, more updates. So in her Monday meetings, she would pretend that she didn't know anything about what was happening with food and beverage. Even though she's been updated four times throughout the week. Then on in the Thursday meeting, she would single me out and say, well, I didn't know anything about that. How is that possible? when well, we've had four meetings this week where I've told you everything that's happening. Now, this was never the case for the casino. This was never the case for a database. This only pertained to, to Shaw. And her problem with me was I had a really good relationship with the food and beverage team because I come from a food and beverage background. So I understood the challenges. And um, I also just understand how to operate as a professional. Following those situations, there was a a very specific um, challenge. We were doing a, um, call it a media training. Okay. And so the entire leadership team was invited to this media training. So there was an outside company that was coming in and training us on how to do interviews and public speaking, et cetera. So she and I are walking into the conference room along with my counterpart who did food or did marketing specifically for the casino and the hotel. As we enter the room, the facilitator jumps to his feet, comes over, starts shaking my hand. Hi, I'm, you know, such and such. Um, thank you so much for having us. Um, everything is set up. We're just waiting on a couple of people, et cetera, et cetera. Now I realize what's happening. He thinks I'm the boss, obviously. And so I smile confidently and graciously and say, I'm Tashel Lawson. Nice to meet you. I'm director of food and beverage marketing. I oversee blah, 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 blah. This is who you're looking for. Right. And I introduce her and I walk away. That's the end of it for me. I go sit down, say hello to the rest of the team, whatever. That afternoon, after the training, the vice president of hotel operations, so the number two in charge of that property, walks into my office. This is a tall, beautiful white woman. She walks in and says, oh, my gosh, you should have seen her face. She was mortified that they recognized you as the boss and not her. And I looked at her and I said, did you say anything? And she says, no. Like what? And I was like, what exactly did I do 
for her to treat me the way that she did, because here's what happened immediately after we got back in. She walked into my office and said that she didn't appreciate me showing her up and making her look bad in front of our facilitator. Now, please explain to me how me showing up dressed professionally, as I should, her in yoga pants and an oversized sweater and rider boots as the vice president of marketing, the most visible position on this property, how that was an appropriate response. The problem, Julie, was that I brought that to the attention of the property leadership and corporate leadership, and everyone acknowledged that she had a problem with me, that she was singling me out, but no one did anything. And so how exactly am I supposed to show up and bring 100% knowing you guys are okay with me being treated differently because of what? It can't be just because I'm confident because so is the hotel VP. That issue wasn't there. This was my, again, my first experience with someone treating me different for being black. She asked me once I was going to, um, I was on my way to Dubai and um, I was super excited. And I was telling one of the other directors um, it's hotter than it is in Vegas. So I hope, I hope they make like 150 SPF. And she said, why, why do you need SPF? My God. And I looked at her and I, I thought she was joking. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you, you don't, you don't get darker. And I was like, so here's how skin works. <laughs> yeah. God. Here's how skin works. Um, but I, I remember going home and it didn't dawn on me until I had a conversation with some of my other black girlfriends that are uh, executives. And they were like, is this your, is this your first time experiencing this? Because this is what it's like. And I ignorantly said, yeah, like this, first of all, I've, I've primarily dealt with men, mm-hmm. which for me has been a very different dynamic. I'm mostly dealing with these guys thinking it's okay to make sexual uh, comments about my body and stuff. I'm dealing with a whole different set of issues. This is the first time I've dealt with someone having an issue with me because I'm a black woman or because I'm strong or I'm capable. The idea that someone would have a challenge because I'm professional and I show up and I'm confident. And when you ask me a question, I'm prepared to answer it is beyond my comprehension. I can't understand how this is a problem. And um, I'll never forget. One of my girlfriends says, yeah, welcome to the real world. This is what it's like as a black woman, as a black female executive. And I remember saying to her, bullshit. That's not how it is because that hadn't been my experience. And we ended up having this very, very intense conversation. Um, She also worked primarily with men, but her experience wasn't like mine. And so we also kind of dug in and I was like, well, where did you grow up? See, I don't have a formal education, Mm -hmm. right? So the way that you handle people is probably based on your theory and your, your, your uh, MBA and all this other, which is great. But I, I have an additional education, which is Mm -hmm. hard knocks, right? So I I just have an ability of being able to, to navigate and get beyond this. So that hasn't been my experience, but I have absolutely never experienced 
a woman having a problem with me um, Mm -hmm. because I'm black. I've had women have problems with me because I'm prettier. I dress better, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your boyfriend's checking me out. I've had those kinds of problems, but in in a professional environment. And I remember thinking back to what Susan told me of like, just keep it professional. And that was not working, Julie. This was something Mm -hmm. else. And I finally got to the point, right, where I realized I traded something bad for something much worse and um, I deserve better. And so that that experience is when I resigned and um, decided to start FIG. My whole purpose was um, at the time I wasn't really thinking much about discrimination. I just knew that I wanted to be in an environment where I would be able to do what I'm really good at and um, not feel like I need to defend myself or hold back parts of myself so that another person feels better about themselves. I don't support that. I'm not toning down to shell to make anyone else feel better. And I don't think anyone should have to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I decided, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. And so I left in August of 2017. I officially uh, started FIG on November 1st of 2017, took off. I went to Italy for a month. Um, mm-hmm. And then came back and started to to work. And my my purpose was to help small and medium sized businesses like the ones that were in my neighborhoods be more intentional about branding and be more intentional about strategy. the The difference between um, a local company and a large corporation is is the strategy. It's it's the planning. It's being more intentional. And my goal was to help organizations be more intentional about what they were doing. Um, and plan ahead and build build brands that would ultimately be able to be legacies, right? That they could pass on to their families. And um, we had just hit our stride, right? In 2000, 2019, we had just hit our stride, had a couple beverage companies, had a gaming client. Um, I spent um, January and February of 2020 in Napa, and um, had just signed two clients that were starting the next month and then boom, COVID. So um, 2020, what, I hope you don't mind, I'm just running on into like- No, of course not. I, I love this. I love it. I'm like, I, I feel you on your journey. And so, yeah, so so continue. So, so COVID hit, you're just getting your stride with your company. Yeah, just, just hitting our stride, COVID hit. Um, and that changed everything. Right. So, um, I was, I had, I had, was hanging on to two clients at the time. Um, cause again, most of my clients are in hospitality and, and beverage, right. And restaurants, and they were hit the hardest. I mean, and I'm in Vegas, so there's no need to, to, to tell you how hard I was affected. Um, so there's that. Add on top of that, the most important person on this earth to me, my grandmother, was dying. And so we've got COVID happening. I'm in the hospitality industry. I'm trying to figure out how to keep my employees employed, right? Um, I'm starting to, to lose business. We don't understand enough about COVID. So I I'm terrified to be in the same house with my grandmother because I don't want to be the reason she's getting sicker. I hate that I'm away from her. Um, and then I'm starting to hemorrhage, right? The business is now we're, we're dying. 
So I ended up having to lay off employees, which for me was the last, last thing I wanted to do. I stopped paying myself so that I can continue to pay my employees. Um, and we still ended up needing to needing to shut down for a bit. Right. So everyone, everyone got laid off. Um, and then wake up and we're watching a cop choke the life out of a black man on national television. Um, and that essentially is what kind of broke me in so many ways, right? Like it was just a lot. Uh, I remember driving down the strip once during the, um, during COVID and seeing it black, like Vegas is not a, a weekend destination for me, right? Like this is my home. So what the strip looks like now is very different than what it was growing up. And I had never seen it black. Um, and it just, it just represented so much of what was happening in my life at that point, right? My grandmother, the business, um, and then it's black, right? Like the, 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 the strip, um, at the time, my boyfriend was, um, white and, and Italian, like from Naples and he's watching this video and he looks at me and I remember how he looked at me so shocked. And he said, that was an American that did that to another American. Like it didn't occur to him that that was, you know, a black and white issue. Like he genuinely could not understand how one American was doing that to another American. And I realized that we never had a conversation about being black and white because it wasn't about race. And we ended up having this very intense conversation um, about race. And I explained to him what my neighborhood was like and how that kind of stuff happened when cops showed up to our neighborhood. It wasn't to protect. Um, and it was a, a very like just. <sighs> frustrating and, um, disappointing time in, in my life. And at this point, my grandmother is getting sicker. So enter June, um, add on the, the numerous press releases we're reading from companies making big promises and commitments to you guys got about a month left with, with, with her. And, um, that was, that was a lot. So on July 28th, 2020, she passed away. And I feel like more than the strip went dark, everything went dark. Um, my boyfriend at the time, he was, uh, he was back in Italy visiting his family. And I was just very, very distraught. Like my company, my business, everything I'd poured into it, my savings. And then the one person I would talk to is gone. So August is blurry. I don't, I don't really remember what happened in August, but I remember waking up in September and I'd read a press release from that company, that hotel I worked for <laughs> making a promise to diversity mm -hmm. and that changed everything for me. Oh my God. So prior to this, I had received a couple of text messages and emails and, um, you know, Facebook messages from almost every white person I've ever met in my entire life telling me <laughs> that they don't see me as a black woman, 
Um, <laughs> they're not racist. They don't see color, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. And it was just contributing to a lot of stuff. And the last thing I wanted to hear was from someone who doesn't understand race relations or could relate. Um, because at that time, my head was not as focused on those issues. It was mourning my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And um, so September, I read this press release and I am furious. I am so pissed. I'm just in this very, very angry, angry place now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine, white girlfriend that changed everything. And it was, she has, she has a biracial daughter. Her daughter's half black. She was also someone that did not support me in when I left the hotel, she knew how I was being treated and, um, didn't support me. And so this, this conversation just changed because I realized that there was, there was a, such a thing as white solidarity and protection. And it never occurred to me that anyone would be against me or not support me because I'm black. Like it, it didn't occur to me that that was happening. And part of me still doesn't believe it. That's why, but I certainly understand more intimately now how not saying something is just as bad, right? You may not necessarily be doing it because I'm black, but not saying anything is just as bad, especially when you can acknowledge that something wasn't right. And, um, so I, I struggled, we had this conversation and, um, her thing was you were really difficult. And I said, Mm -hmm. I stood up for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, in many cases, I stood up for you when you couldn't. And the one time I actually needed you to stand up for me because I was treated differently. You couldn't. And the fact that you didn't have to is part of the problem, right? Like mm-hmm. you weren't affected by it the way that I was. And so you didn't feel that you needed to stand up yet. You expect for me to trust that you have my back as a friend now. Mm-hmm. And it was just this really deep um, eye opening kind of ugly time in my life because I started to question friendships and relationships that I'd had for years based on the response that was happening right then and there. And, um, when I, when I told her about the press release, cause she still worked with the company mm-hmm. she said, well, X, Y, Z PR firm is handling that. And that's when the light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of these companies aren't fully aware, right? Like if we're being honest, they're, they're fully, they're not fully aware. Cause race relations doesn't affect them the way that it affects people of color. Like, let's just call this what it is. So, but if you've got a, a dense ass PR firm that's coming in and telling you that all you need to do to fix this problem is write a press release and you don't know any better, you'll write the press release. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I realized that the gap was no longer on the branding. It was on how are companies being more intentional about this versus just putting out some press release. I read that and I was furious because mm-hmm. I knew it was bullshit. Yeah. Right. I'd experienced what this company means by diversity. I I'd worked there not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the large company, the company I was with before that, the restaurant group that 
claim to be diverse. Was, I was one of two black executives in the entire company. How is that? How are you diverse? We have plenty of people of color. Yeah, they work in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. They're delivery drivers. I know that they work there. Hospitality won't have a problem meeting diversity numbers. They will have mm-hmm. a problem meeting diversity numbers in leadership and decision-making roles every time. So besides writing a press release, what are you doing to change this culture? What are you doing to acknowledge that these gaps exist and that it's not right? So mm-hmm. instead of just saying that we're going to hire more women, we're going to hire more people of color, what are you doing to really ensure that experiences like mine don't happen? That's mm-hmm. one thing to say that you've hired a person of color. It's very different to ensure that their experience isn't different because of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's very different mm-hmm. than understanding who your your consumers are, which are a lot more woke than they used to be, right? Mm-hmm. So your customers care if you actually have fair representation and leadership. They now care if you care about the same issues that they do. So what are you doing to be more intentional about all of that? Taking it a step further, our demographics shift drastically over the next 20, 40, 60 years. 60 years. Whites no longer represent the majority. Actually, in 20 years, they no longer represent the majority. But in 60, it is over 54% Hispanic. So what are you going to do to ensure that, number one, your employee base represents the actual demographics, particularly of your community? What are you doing to make sure that your services and your products represent your community? Mm -hmm. basically how are you adjusting it takes more than writing a press release it takes more than as much as I love podcasts it takes more than writing a podcast like what are you doing or hosting a podcast Mm -hmm. what are you doing to actually be more intentional about diversity and at fig so I at this time have repositioned my company right so now Mm -hmm. I'm in um November of 2022 I enroll in the diversity and inclusion program at Cornell I get super plugged in. I'm committed to helping companies be more intentional about this and doing it in the way that Tichelle does things, not sugarcoating. I'm not patting you on the back for hiring a woman of color when she was qualified. There's no need to write a press release about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no need to do all of this, but I want to help companies be more intentional about this and provide meaningful experiences through diversity. Yeah, so the the transition was basically bred out of a combination of things. It was bred out of the business struggling as a result of COVID. It was bred out of losing my grandmother and needing to take a break and heal. Um, It was bred out of the George Floyd incident, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. It was bred out of growing up in an environment where people didn't care about what was happening in the hood because who cares? It's just a bunch of black and brown people killing themselves on drugs. Like no one cared. Um, Mm -hmm. It was bred out of being a woman that constantly needed to um, not show any emotion or be a real person because I would not be taken as seriously. Um, It was bred out of disappointment in relationships with, with people, with women I trusted to be my friend and have my back. Um, And more importantly, it was bred out of a need. Like mm-hmm. there are there aren't many organizations that that are 
doing DEI authentically. They're doing it in response or out of fear. And I understand that that's a start, but it's also so short-sighted. You can be so much more impactful when you're thinking about it as a whole and thinking about how diversity in itself, right, is powerful. The fact that I grew up the way that I grew up and I think the way that I think adds a level of diversity. I happen to be a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. But what I really bring to the table is not my skin, it's how I think. And that is my my position on diversity and that's what I feel very passionately about. Um and also what numbers support, data supports that this is an incredibly effective strategy for any business, regardless of your industry, regardless of your size, having the diversity of thought um, creates better cultures. It drives higher revenues, uh, better innovation. It's just all the around, all the way around good business. Now, I, I think, you know, we all know that time two years ago, right, where we thought COVID was going to be you know, the biggest news of the year and, you know, with the, the, the awakening, right. With the social injustice, with, with the racial injustice and, and people, and, and, you know, there's a lot of studies that it's because everybody was locked down and really, you know, engaging in the news and really seeing what's happened and having a time to really reflect on their own lives and, and their own roles in all of this. Right. And, and I think, um, many people realize is like, okay, Tashel, you, you and I are friends and I'm going to have your back. And yeah, that was really screwed up what happened, but to then not do anything about it and use your position. I think a lot of people, and if they didn't realize that, you know, I, I don't know how tone deaf you can be, but, you know, I think you recognizing to bring fig back, Right. And, and to change your, you know, or maybe tweak your your strategy to really dive into that problem, because it is a problem and we can't ever move forward if people are able to just kind of go by and and be a little here and a little there. It, it's not going to solve these injustices that continue at, at different levels. So, you know, I think the fact that you took your business and said, OK, I don't like what's happening. I don't like that people are hiding behind their press release. So I'm actually going to step up and help them be better, right? Be more strategic and have a DNI strategy. Because I think the frustrating thing is a lot of times DNI is just being rolled up into HR. It's like one more thing that HR needs to manage to handle risk, you know, to, to reduce risk within the organization. But it sounds like what you're doing at FIG Strategy and Consulting is actually building DNI as part of the the overall business growth plan. And you know, could you give us some examples of of brands that you're working? I think more than ever now is a brand, whether you're a wine brand or spare brand, you can't just you know, create campaigns around, you know, moments, right. And, and it, it really has to be sustainable and it has to be real and it has to be authentic. And that's all that we're hearing about. So could you give us some examples of how fig helps these brands to really come off and, and have DNI at their core? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll start with, so I'm working with a hospitality company now. Um, 
that, uh, and this will be a very interesting share. Mm-hmm. I sit on the bar and restaurant advisory council. And so I was connected to, um, to a company through there. And they, they had hired a diversity uh, consultant prior to engaging with me. Mm-hmm. And so they were having um, some challenges basically on shared language and um, wanted to just develop a, a council. We need a, we need a diversity council, which is to be perfectly honest with you. That's the easy, if you have a diversity council, you're done, right? <laughs> this is what most organizations think. We have a diversity council, we're done. And so they wanted a, a diversity council. And I said, that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can absolutely build you a diversity council, but what we really need to understand is where your diversity gaps are like currently your understanding mm-hmm. of diversity, how you're utilizing it, how it impacts your, your business. And they have four locations. So they're in different, different parts of the country, which means what that means that they're going to have different challenges in every one of those locations. So building mm-hmm. you a diversity council that addresses four different areas, the same is not wise. Right. So let's start with that. Um, So first things first is I do what's called a DEI audit. Right. And that is going through and identifying where your current gaps are from your understanding, from their um, perspective of of understanding. So what do you know about DEI? Um, We go through terminology, language, um, but more importantly, we, we go through real examples. So I, it's one thing for me to tell you about intersectionality. It's different for me to explain to you how it, sh- how it has shown up in your business through asking these questions and auditing, right? I can tell you very easily what unconscious bias is. I can shoot you a, a, an email and insert a hundred different links for you to watch videos. It's different for me to explain to you how it actually shows up in your behavior, right? And how that is demonstrated to your customers and also to your team. So we do, we do a deeper dive. So the audit is um, designed to expose your existing framework, like where your gaps are as a leader and how those gaps influence the decisions that you make within your organization and your quote unquote diversity initiatives, right? Because if your understanding is that, yeah, diversity is a, a matter of making sure that we have enough business or women in the business, then the only area that you're going to be focusing on is how many women we put into the business versus the other hundred issues relating to diversity that Im- impact the business, the, de- the decisions, et cetera. So we start with the audit and then we go through the business goals, right? And this is where rubber really starts to meet the road. This particular company, which is why I signed up almost immediately to work with them was we want to be voted one of the best companies to work for in the industry. And I know that in order to do that, we need to take this more seriously. And that's an incredible goal. So that goal sets the tone for everything we do from a diversity perspective. It's not just me coming in and telling you, hey, you need to do an LGBTQ plus training and you need to do this. All right, if you wanna be the best company to work for, let's look at the best companies in each of your current cities and what are they doing right, right? Like how how do you currently compare in terms of culture, in terms of customer satisfaction, et cetera. So the assessment is where we really start to put everything together. The next phase is um, two-part. So we continue our executive coaching, right? So working with the executives, um, that's where I kind of transition into more of a fractional chief diversity officer 
or if they have any issues that comes up in the meantime, um, I serve as their, their advisor, their counselor, et cetera. In addition to that, we're doing diversity, equity, and inclusion training within the company. So this is where we're meeting with the management team. We're identifying what gaps they have. And then we're actually dropping that down to um, the line employees, right? Or those that are in the brick and mortars. That process is important because if I talk to any CEO or executive and ask them what his problems or her problems are or what they think the problems are in terms of DEI, that's going to be this. But when I talk to the actual team and ask what those problems are, there's normally a huge difference, right? So somewhere in between there, we've got to close those gaps and train to what really is going on within the company. And that's the difference. So we're not doing just a top-down approach. We're also doing a bottom-up. And I'm saying, okay, Dave, that's great. Here's what your team actually thinks the problem is, right? Here's what they're experiencing from the, the on-site management team. Here's how you will not be the best company to work for if we don't correct these problems. And that becomes the, the, the baseline for what we, we train and measure to. And then we also fold in any specific industry challenges. So we know, again, that in hospitality beverage, we're going to hit diversity numbers, Julie. That's not a problem. But when we start identifying where those people are, that's when we see major, major gaps. Yes, I'm seeing a surge of women in the beverage industry. 92% of them are white women, right? So is that really solving the diversity problem? No. We need to identify those industry gaps and challenges and make sure that we're addressing those as well so we don't just kind of you know, fall into the, the standard operating or, or standard response, right? We really, want, we really want to be the best company to work for. We've got to think like the best company in the industry. And so that's the, the training, the, the training part of it. The last part of it is bu- building out the actual DEI strategy. So now that everyone has the, the training, the shared language, everyone is on board, we understand what the mission is. How do we start dropping this down into every level? You're a bar. Great. How many diverse suppliers are you currently working with? Are you just going with, with the standard big boys, right? Are you looking for opportunities to showcase a, um, a lesbian bartender? Are you looking for opportunities to bring in new diverse customers and so on and so forth? So we start really dropping the strategy down or dropping those DEI initiatives into every aspect of the business. Are you just throwing people of color in your ads on social media or do they actually represent a percentage of your current customer base? Because the problem with that is I show up with six of my black friends and I walk in and I don't feel comfortable because no one in here looks like me or makes me feel unwelcomed, right? That's, that's the difference. So what we do at FIG is so much deeper than a diversity council. It's so much deeper than uh, writing an article. We're serious about having companies be serious about DEI. Yeah, it, it, it really sounds like you get deep into the culture of the organization, right? I mean, from the top to the bottom and, and, you know, I, I love that you're not just teaching like DNI terms and, you know, I don't know how many unconscious bias trainings I've been in, (laughs) you know, but it's really about, this is how it shows up 
with you and your work and your company and your employees and your team. I think that's so important because, you know, that hits really close to home. And, um, and I love that you're getting out then into, you know, outside of that, that corporate place and into the field, right. And in this case, it's into the bars and, and pulling that all together as a part of the strategy. I mean, um, I think that's fantastic. So, you know, how, how many projects do you take on? And, and as our listeners are listening and looking for opportunities to integrate DNI into their companies, um, as they start building out their brand plans, right? Because, you know, one thing that I, I really notice is like a lot of these companies and like, if you're, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of putting on my, my supplier, you know, supplier development hat is, you know, they're putting out brands that are, you know, on point, they're woke, they know what's going on. And that, that brand imaging is coming out with kind of the consumer in mind, right? This new consumer, you know, I was looking at another stat today, 63% want to buy brands that are, you know, giving to a social cause, half of, you know, half of consumers want to make sure DE&I is at the core of the brand. But we have to remember that like the brands come from somewhere, right? They come from an organization and a lot of topics like, okay, but what are you doing within your organization? And it's one thing to have a brand represent what the consumer wants, but the organization. So I think um, as some of our, our brands are planning, you know, 2023 strategy and, and whatnot, like how can they work with FIG and with you and your team to really start at the core of the organization as they come out with their brand plans? Like how do they get connected with you guys? Yeah. So, um, we are not hard to find, <laughs> uh, big strategy and consulting. You can definitely find us, uh, figfirm.com. Um, we're on, uh, let's see, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter at fig firm. Um, I think IG as well at fig firm, um, www.figfirm. Basically you, you Google fig firm. You're going to find, you're going to find fig. It's we're, we're, we live a fig life over here. Um, the I guess the, the biggest thing to, to to take into consideration, and this is an area that I make sure I touch on with every prospective client, and that is understanding that your customer has expectations and they're higher than you think they are um, is probably critical, right? Like they are also more aware than you think they are. So a quick example um, that food and beverage company I worked for before the hotel. I had a, a call call with them. They were interested in doing DEI, which they weren't. Um, they work with a lot of sports, a lot of sports teams, right? So um, I remember asking the VP and I, I said, um, who's your, who's your customer and your real customer. And it was, um, oh, well we have this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, 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 no your real customer, right? The ones who have the power to remove you without question are the leagues, right? So the NFL, the NBA, hockey, like these guys are the real decision makers. And let's paint this picture of what matters to them because that's how you'll connect the dots into how serious you need to be taking DEI for your organization. And let's just 
simplify this. LeBron staged a walkout. Remember that in 2020. That was a game changer in the black community, right? Because the black community had been feeling that athletes such as LeBron that have these major platforms were not doing enough. Mm-hmm. They were letting down the community. When you have an organization such as the NBA that represents 83% black players, NFL 77% black players, do you think for one second that any of these guys, now that they know that LeBron will stage a walkout, that they're going to risk that, right? The answer is no. So because this matters to the players means now it has to start mattering to the organizations. And once this really starts to trickle down, it's going to take some time, but once it starts to really trickle down, that means every partner they take on will have to care about DEI, period, point blank. They're not going to risk another walkout for some average hot dogs, right, that are provided by this concessionaire. They're not going to risk you not providing Black-owned wines and beers and vodkas and et cetera as a supplier. They're not going to accept that anymore. It may not be right now, but make no mistakes, that is coming. And so if you are a supplier, you're a brand owner, whomever, and you aren't thinking about how serious this conversation is today, think about the demographic shifts and how people that currently look like you are not going to be the decision makers all the time. And that issue will become much bigger and it would also become non-negotiable. So if you are not thinking about how serious this conversation is, you are definitely doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And my, my position, right. As, as the president of fig um, also just as an advocate and a lover of the industry is this honestly shouldn't be that big of a deal. We should be doing this because um, I think it was like 62% of consumer bases are made up of people of color. Mm-hmm. So why the hell wouldn't you have products that represent? Yeah, it makes business sense, it makes right? Business like- sense, Julie. That's my point. It's like, well, he says, well, we have black magic wines. That's a basic, like you don't get a high five for doing something. 60% of your customers care about that. You should, you should have that, whether I tell you to have it or not, because you understand your customer. Mm-hmm. But if you don't understand the customer that has the ability to literally remove your business from this, um, from this stadium, right. That's mm-hmm. a game changer. Can any distributor afford to lose a stadium? No, no. So regardless of of where you are, um, understanding how how serious these conversations are getting. And I know a lot of like, well, the NFL doesn't take it serious. The NFL is not taking it as serious as they should be now. But I assure you, they will. Oh, I think they're starting. They are starting. Really? with I mean, taking a deep look inside. I mean, they could use FIG, right? Strategy and consulting with everything that they're, you know, having that deep dive with the coaches coming out. It takes that, you know, it it takes that bold leader to, to really say this isn't right and take on those organizations and more people are empowered to do that. And DE&I, I agree with you 100%. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's a need to have. And not just 
because it's the right thing to do for people, you know, and, 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 and treating people as, as human beings that have a lot to contribute. It's, it makes the best business sense, right. And having, I, it only does, it's proven that diverse thinking and a diverse leadership team adds to innovation. And we're seeing so many great companies doing that now that are ahead of the curve and, and so many, so many that, that need to, um, to take it seriously. And, and I'm just so glad that you're providing that platform. And, and I know it, it took a lot of heartache and, and a lot of, you know, sometimes when things go dark, right. Like Las Vegas is a time to just kind of, you know, to just rebuild. And, and I'm so happy you did. Thank you for saying that. My grandmother used to always say, you know, the darkest part of the day is right before dawn. Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's true. And, and, and to your point, right, let's let's be honest. No one listening. Right. Mm -hmm. No, you and I included. No one cares only about the cause. Right. Mm -hmm. It does have to make business sense. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to think about DEI as a business decision, you couldn't have said it better. It's it's no longer a nice to have. It's it's no longer optional. Mm -hmm. And it may seem like it's losing steam because you have far less PR companies throwing up press releases, but it is still a major issue. I attended an event um, two weeks ago in Las Vegas, and it was um, a, a black a black event. So there were twelve hundred black women, black women of power, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversations that were taking place in that room were incredible. And most of, most of the questions that were asked were, do they support black businesses? Mm -hmm. do, they, do they support women-owned businesses? Do they support X, Y, or Z? If the answer was no at any point, we move on. Yep. Like that was, that was the full stop. And those, those were not the conversations we were having three years ago. Nope. And now that is the norm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate. It's funny when I started fig in 2017, I was passionate, not like this though, Julie, this mm -hmm. is like my yeah. purpose. This is because it makes sense. And I think that so many leaders are uncomfortable talking about it. I think that's the bigger thing is mm -hmm. They're just kind of uncomfortable. How do I address this? Like they care, mm -hmm. but how do I even get started addressing this? And how does this really affect my business? The numbers are one thing, right? But being able to have the conversations and um, just be kind of, I guess, vulnerable mm -hmm. about not knowing how serious this is or how to address it, I think is another issue. And that's something I do really, really well. Yeah. Well, I could go on and talk to you forever and I'm sure we are going to have many more conversations and I do have to plan a trip out to Las Vegas. So I will definitely hit you up, but thank you so much for sharing your story and all the work that you're doing. And I just, um, I can't wait to, you know, get to know you more and, and really, you know, just, um, share the work that you're doing, because I think, you know, as an industry in a whole, we need fig and we need, you know, your expertise and your guidance to really, 
you know, not only make us better as an industry and as executives, but, you know, really is um, the impact that we have on our communities and, and the reach that we have. It's really important. So thank you to Shell for thank joining you, us. Julie. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!